uh, thanks for being with us in person. Thanks for being with us online today. Uh, we are grateful to have you. If, if we have met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we are in the midst of a series that we have entitled First Comes Love. And uh, this is a series uh, kind of based off of that rhyme that we grew up with as kids. That, you know, it says first comes love and then comes marriage. And in this series, we're just recognizing that factors in our lives like dating, and finding someone and falling in love and getting married and staying married and having kids and navigating family, that these things are way more complicated than that rhyme we grew up with suggests that they are. That when it comes to these areas in our lives, for a lot of people, there's a lot of drama and a lot of conflict and a lot of heartache and confusion that these things are oftentimes very difficult to manage. And for many people, there's just a great deal of pain that comes with one or more areas that we have listed up here. And the good news, though, is that God hasn't left us to just wander around and figure this out on our own. God loves us, and he has provided us with truth in every one of these areas of our lives. Truth that if consistently applied over time can bring health and healing and blessing to every one of these areas. And so each week we're just taking one of these. We're just kind of unpacking it a little bit and seeing what God is saying to us. And today we're going to talk about this idea of marriage. But here's, here's the, the problem with this. Anybody who's been married knows that marriage is complicated enough that you're not going to talk about everything you need to talk about when it comes to marriage in one message, right? You're really not going to cover it all in one series. But what we're, what we're going to do today is we're going to dial in on just one specific piece that for every one of us who is in relationship with another person, the factor that we're going to talk about today, it is relevant to us. And for anyone who is married at one point or another, you have wrestled with this factor in your marriage. In fact, what would be really helpful for us today is to kind of to illustrate this um, factor in somebody who's not doing well in their marriage. So if they, do we have a couple that's not doing well that would be maybe willing to come up? So John and Kate, you guys look a little tense coming in today. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, we're not going to like draw somebody up here, you know, but let's face it, when it comes to marriage, it's more complicated than find and date a hottie and fall in love and get married and live heavily ever after. It just doesn't work that way. So what we're going to do today is we're going we're gonna to drill down into a couple of couples from the scriptures who are struggling in the area that we're going to talk about and see what we can learn from them about this. So let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this, and then we will dive into things for today. Father, we just pray that you would have your hands on us for folks who are in the room today, for folks who are at home today. There are all kinds of struggles when it comes to marriage and how to do this well so often there's pain and frustration and disappointment. And so often we feel like we don't have within ourselves what we need to navigate that. We're not sure what to do or how to move forward. Father, I pray that you would, even today, 
speak your truth to us, that you would begin a process of healing and hope. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So again, it would be helpful to illustrate today's topic uh, in couples that are not doing well with it. So we're going to look at a couple of couples from the Bible. And listen, while their stories are from a time long ago and a place far away, their stories in many ways are still our stories. That's why the Bible records the history of these people, because in so many ways, we see ourselves in them. So the first couple that we're going to look at is a couple by the name of David and Michal. And David and Michal, their story, it starts off like a fairy tale, kind of like a Disney tale almost. Like Michal literally is a princess. She's not a Disney princess, but she is literally a princess. She is the daughter of King Saul. And she falls for this guy named David. And David is, you know, he's not royalty. He's this, you know, young guy. He's from poor circumstances. He's good looking and he's charming, but he doesn't have a whole lot of money. And David engages, you know, in these heroic acts that allow him to win her hand in marriage. And after they become married, David, he becomes the king of Israel. So now Michal, who's grown up as a royal, her husband is a legitimate royal as well. So their story starts off, you know, this just fairy tale kind of thing. But (laughs) their story takes some turns and it goes from fairy tale to nightmare. Now, the, the, the event that takes place It's found in the Old Testament, and it surrounds the Ark of the Covenant coming back to, did we lose the television here? There we go. Okay. Surrounds the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. It's been away for a while, and for the Israelites, the Ark of the Covenant is a big deal. They see God's physical presence represented in this box. And so it is coming back after a long absence. And so folks are excited about it. So we read that, you know, David's wearing this linen ephod. It's kind of like a thin kind of outfit here. And he's dancing before the Lord with all his mights, just dancing his guts out in front of the ark as the thing is coming in. And, and while he's doing this, all of Israel's there, and there's shouts, there's the sound of the trumpets, there's this massive celebration taking place over the ark coming back. Now, as this is happening, his wife, Michal, is watching from a window. There we go. So, as the ark of the Lord is entering the city, David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, is watching from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. She's up there, she's watching, she's a king's daughter, there is the king, and he is dancing, he is just everything he can to celebrate the ark coming back in. She sees it, she sees this, and her response is to despise him. So David gets home. David comes home, and he's going to bless his family as he comes home. And he, you know, he blesses his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel has honored himself today. Now, gentlemen, just, this is side note. This is free information for you for today. Uh, sometimes women say things. And what they say and what they actually mean don't go together. 
right? So like you might get home and you might be like, hey, my wife doesn't look right. And you'll say to your wife, hey, are you okay? And she'll respond with, I'm fine, right? Yeah, she's not fine. It is not what she is saying and what she, what's, these two things do not go together here. This is what's going on with Michal. And you see this in what she says next, right? She says, you know, oh, how you've honored yourself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servant maids as one would, you know, as any of these vulgar and shameless people would uncover themselves. See, she has in mind how it is that he should be acting as a king. And she's getting anything but that. And it's at this point that their relationship turns into a nightmare. From this point forward, there's no relational connection. The friendship is gone. From this point forward, there's no physical intimacy. That is done and over with. The relationship becomes incredibly dysfunctional moving forward. So that's David McCall, all right? We're going to look next at, at Jacob and Leah. And as, as we talk about Jacob and Leah, see if you can pick up on the common dysfunction that these two couples share. Now, Jacob and Leah, like with David and McCall, their story starts off great. David and McCall, their story is a mess, or excuse me, Jacob and Leah, their story is a mess from the word go. Like there's no storybook beginning. There's no fairy tale start. Right from the start, things are super dysfunctional. Like Jacob doesn't even want to be married to Leah. He didn't marry her on purpose. He wants her younger sister. And the only reason he married Leah is because his father-in-law tricked him into it. And one week after marrying her, he marries her younger sister. Now, if that's not enough to create issues in the relationship... Listen to what we read about next, right? When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. So here's here's Leah. She's married to this man. He's sleeping with her even though he doesn't love her. God sees she's not loved, and she's going to get to conceive. Leah became pregnant, pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Now in Hebrew, the word, the the name Reuben sounds like the Hebrew word misery. Leah's basically going, hey, I'm going to name my kid this to illustrate how miserable my marriage is. You're like, that's not a good thing. You're right. We're just getting started. Leah's story continues. Leah conceived again and gave birth to a son. She said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Simeon literally means he who hears. She's like, hey, it feels like God hears me and he hears the fact that I'm in this loveless marriage. Her story continues. Now again, Leah conceived. She gave birth to a son. She said, now my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Levi literally means attached. She's like, hey, I'm I'm living in this culture where kids are everything. I'm living in this culture where where sons are valued more than daughters. I've just given this man not one but three sons. Maybe now 
he'll finally feel some sense of attachment towards me. Leah's marriage is deeply dysfunctional. Now, you think about Jacob and Leah, you think about David and Michal. You go, okay, what's the common dysfunctional factor? And I thought about going, okay, we're going to just put it out there and we'll play, you know, name that dysfunction here at church. I thought, ah, that's that's really not fair because there are actually multiple dysfunctions that these two couples share. So I'm just going to give you the answer right up front. Here it is. Unmet expectations. There were things that David and Michal expected and they didn't get them. And there were things that Jacob and Leah expected and they didn't get them. And those unmet expectations led to pain and frustration and disappointment in their marriage. See, here's the deal with relationships. In our relationships, we all come with a bag of expectations. In our relationships, we come with a bag full of hopes and dreams and desires that we are looking for the person we are in relationship with or the relationship itself to meet for us. And when those expectations go unmet, those unmet expectations lead to frustration. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to come with a bag of expectations. I'm saying that's an undeniable reality of life. We all have them. Like, like we, 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 we get into these relationships and we get married and then we've got expectations about how things are going to work, how they're going to go. Like, we've got expectations about housing. Like, where are we going to live? Is it going to be in the suburbs? Are we going to live in the city? Or is it going to be something urban, something rural? You know, like you know, how many square feet are we going to have, right? Is it going to be a bungalow, a ranch? What are we going to do here? Or we've got, we've got expectations about money. Like how much are we going to have? Who's going to make it? How are we going to spend it? Who's going to make those decisions? Are we going to be savers? Are we going to be spenders? How's this going to work in our relationship, right? Or we've got, we've got expectations about vehicles, Right? You know, like, like, like you know, we're going to drive the cars that we got when we were, you know, when we were engaged. Are we going to continue to drive those after we get married? Uh, you know, when kids come along, are we going to have something more sensible? Like my wife, Laura, and I, when we got married, we both had two-door cars. And then we had our, our first child, and, and we were, it was time to replace one of those cars. My wife said, we have to get something with four doors. Why do we, we've got two doors. They, they, they've served us fine. Why do we need four doors? And she's like, have you ever tried to put a car seat in the back seat of a car with two doors? Like, I've never tried to put a car seat in a car in my life, you know? We got a four-door, right? And so um, we have expectations about children. Are we going to have kids? We're not going to have kids. We have one kid. We have two kids. We have a basketball team worth of kids. Are we gonna have our own biological kids? Are we gonna adopt? Right? And and Becca, if you're watching online, yes, I'm using Joseph, but you don't get credit for that because it's the baby, your baby doll, but it's not you. So it's our daughter's first baby doll here, right? Um, we we got expectations about division of labor, right? Like our, who's gonna dust? Who's gonna do the dishes? Who's gonna do the laundry? Who's gonna take out the garbage? Who's gonna do the grass? You know, we've got expectations about physical fitness, like. This is how we looked when we got married. 
like five years down the line and 10 years down the line and 20 years down the line and 30 years down the line? What, what are we going to look like and what, you know, how fit are we going to be and how are we going to like achieve those goals, right? So there you go. All right, almost got you, Robert. Uh, we've got expectations. Guys have expectations about what their wives will and won't wear to bed, you know? And guys are just hoping their wife will never wear anything like this, you know? And girls are like, he doesn't care what I wear. He just wants me to be comfortable. No, he doesn't, right? So um, we've got expectations about the calendar. Like, you know, where are we going to spend the holidays? And whose family are we going to spend them with? And, And when my wife and I first got married, she said, hey, me and my family, just three holidays. Just three. We just want Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. And you and your family, you can have all the rest. You guys can have Halloween and, and Groundhog Day and, and President's Day and Fourth of July. And, and we've got expectations about how we're going to spend our time. Like, how, how many games can he watch on a Sunday before it's an issue? Or how many nights can she go out with her girlfriends before it's a problem? You know, like, we come to the relationship and we got a bag full of hopes and dreams and desires that we expect our spouse, or the relationship to meet for us. And when those expectations go unmet, and sooner or later they're gonna, the unmet expectations can lead to all kinds of pain and frustration and conflict. So the question becomes, what do healthy, happy couples do when it comes to their expectations and their spouse's expectations. So let's take some time to talk about that. Because I'm going to contend there, there are at least four things that healthy, happy couples do when it comes to expectations. And we'll just, we'll just take them one at a time. So healthy couples, they start with being aware. When, when an expectation is unmet, you've got this conflict, this anxiety, this tension that comes there, right? And listen, we've got them. And sometimes we know what our expectations are, sometimes we don't, but we've all got them. And so healthy people, when, when there's conflict in the relationship, there's angst, they're upset about something, what healthy people do is they take a step back and they go, hey, am I upset right now because I'm not getting what I want? Is, is the conflict that we're experiencing the result that there's an unmet expectation that I have or that my, that my spouse has, and that's what's driving this? See, Mikhail had expectations. She had expectations about what her husband would do, how he would live, how he would conduct himself as royalty. She's the king's daughter, Saul's daughter. She's like, this is how my husband, the king, is going to act. And when he didn't do that, she just responds emotionally. And it leads to disdain and disrespect for her husband. Healthy people, they take a step back. And and they, they they try and figure out, hey, is this an unmet expectation that's driving the, the issue that we have here? Healthy couples start by being aware, but they don't stop there. They move from aware. Next, healthy couples analyze. They analyze 
what kind of expectation they're dealing with. So I'm going to take a step back and realize, hey, I'm not getting what I want. I had an expectation. It's not being met. What kind of expectation is it? Because there are different kinds. Like sometimes our expectations, they're biblical. Like my wife and I, we expect there to be fidelity and honesty in our relationship. And we expect that because the Bible says it's wrong for us to have an extramarital affair and then lie to each other about it. Like, Leah had an expectation that her husband was going to love her. That's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible teaches that husbands should love their wives. That was a biblical expectation that she had. Like, sometimes our expectations are driven by scriptural directives. Other times, though, our expectations are just a matter of personal preference. Like, if you go into the garage of our house, you immediately take a right, there is a bin for recycling. And I expect that if you go in there with some stuff for the recycling bin and you fill the bin up, that you're going to take the bin outside to the great big one that goes out to the curb and empty it up. You know, you're going to empty that out. You're not going to just, like, fill that thing to overflowing. Now, as much as I wish, there was a chapter and verse in the Bible that says if you don't take the full bin out to the outside, you're going to burn for that. If I'm being intellectually honest, it is, it is just a matter of personal preference. Sometimes our expectations, they are driven by our personal preference. Other times, our expectations, they reflect what we have seen over time. Like when my wife and I first got married, she said to me, when it came to the division of labor, she's like, there are certain things I am not going to do. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, I am not going to do those things, and here's why. Those are man's work. Can you say that? She says, I can say that. You can't say women's work, but I can say men's work, all right? And she's serious. And here's the, here's the thing. They were things all her life, those were things her daddy did. And she just expected in a marriage, that's what the husband will do. There are things that we have seen growing up or we have seen in couples that we respect or we have been exposed to so frequently through media, we've just come to expect that's how it's going to work. Or sometimes we create the expectation. So if I say to my wife, hey, I'm going to be home at 5.30, we'll have dinner, and then I'm going to come back to church for evening meetings, and then I don't show up till 6, she's going to have an unmet expectation, and it will be one that I created. Healthy people, when there's conflict, they take a step back. They work to become aware, okay, is this because of unmet expectations? And then they analyze, what kind of expectation are we dealing with? And they do so for a couple of reasons. See, when, when, I'm, when I become aware, it can de-escalate things. Like, I've got an expectation. Like, okay, hey, where's this thing coming from? Oh, this is just a matter of personal preference. Rather than just responding in the emotions of the moment, if I figure out where this expectation is coming from, it just brings down the emotion. Or other times it can be, it can be validating. I've talked to folks and they're like, I'm upset, I don't know if I should be upset or not. If, if an expectation is biblical and it's not being met, it's okay to be upset about that. Now, I may need to dial in the level of emotion. I may have 30 pounds of emotion for a 10-pound issue, all right? But it, it can be validating. Hey, this isn't happening, and it should be. 
So healthy people, they're aware, healthy people analyze, and then healthy people advertise. And what I mean by that is healthy people communicate their expectations to the people they're in relationship with. If you're thinking, why didn't you just say communicate? Because I'm trying the whole alliteration thing, okay? Everyone's going to start with an A, right? But listen, single people, dating people, you should be talking to the person you're in relationship with about what's in your bag. And it is, listen, it is not okay to have something in your bag and you know what's there and not bring that out until after you got married. That is not okay. You should be communicating. And married people, you should be talking to your spouse about what's in your bag. You should know what's in your spouse's bag. If you don't know what's in your spouse's bag, that may be one of the reasons things aren't going well right now. And married people, it's not okay to, to expect your spouse to guess or to figure out. Or if he really loved me, he would just know. Uh-huh. No. Healthy people, they paint the bullseye for their spouse to shoot at. You communicate about what's in your bag. So healthy people are aware, they analyze, they advertise, and there's one more A, apply. And this is something that healthy, happy couples do. There's, there's a whole nother level that happens here with apply. You see, healthy, happy couples, they apply what Jesus taught about love in general to their relationship as a couple specifically. Healthy, happy couples, they take what Jesus taught about love in general and they apply it to their marriage specifically. Let me try and explain. So in, Mark, in, excuse me, in John's biography of Jesus' life, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised again. And then he starts to talk to them about love. Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. And all the disciples who were paying attention thought, that's not new, Jesus. Moses told us we're supposed to love each other. And if any of them would have verbalized it, Jesus would have said, you're right, that's not new, but I'm not through. See, Moses told you to love one another as you love yourselves. But I'm about to take the ethic of love to a whole different plane. So Jesus says to his disciples, he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, can you see the difference? Moses says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Moses gives us the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus takes the ethic of love and he dials it up. He says, no, 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 I'm going to give you the platinum rule. Do unto others as God has done unto you. See, in my marriage, with the golden rule, I've got a loophole that allows me to get out of love my spouse. See, if, if Laura's loving me well, right, and I'm not reciprocating that in any way, I'm not going to expect that Laura's going to keep doing that. 
Right? I, I'm not expecting that the relationship should be lopsided in my direction, that it should be unfair and, and, and unreciprocated and just everything's going my way and I'm, I, you know, I'm just going to take it all. I'm not going to expect that. That's just ridiculous. But if I'm loving my wife and she's not loving me back, well, that provides me with a loophole to stop loving her. Because why would I expect her to do something that I wouldn't, you know, why, why, would, why should she expect me to do something I wouldn't expect her to do? I'm just treating her the way I expect she would treat me. But with the platinum rule, that loophole goes away. Because you see, God's love for us is unfair and inequitable to God. It is oftentimes coming our way and it is unreciprocated. Again, we talked about this last weekend. In his letter to the church, John says, um, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we were sending no love God's way, God loved us anyway. And he did so at great expense to himself. The golden rule says, hey, you're going to love others the way that they love you. The platinum rule says, no, no, no. You're going to love others the way that God loved you. God's love, it comes to us. Even though it's not fair to God that we're not loving him back. God's love, it comes to us. Even though there's, there's no reciprocation, there's no equity. He loves us unconditionally. Healthy, happy couples, they take what Jesus said about love in general and they apply the platinum rule to their marriage specifically. Now, lest you say, well, ah, I don't know, Jesus didn't say that, that you had to do that thing and so maybe you shouldn't. Are we really supposed to you know, apply what Jesus said about love in general to our marriage specifically? Paul goes there. See, Jesus starts and then Paul takes the concept and he fleshes it out further for the church. In the book of Ephesians, Paul's writing to the church. And he says to the church, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. He's like, listen, if you're a child of God, you need to imitate your Father in heaven. Well, how, how, how should we do that, Paul? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says, in Jesus' ultimate act of love, we, we have for us a foundation that is laid, that we are meant to apply in our lives and in our relationships. Jesus says to his disciples, he's like, listen, I, I got a new command for you. I want you to love one another. Love one another the way I loved you. Love one another the way you're going to see me in the coming hours. Lay down my life as a sacrifice for your sin. That's the way you're going to love each other. And then Paul picks up on that very theme. He's like, hey, you, you're a child of God. You need to imitate your Father in heaven. And you need to walk in love just like Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Paul says, hey, this is the foundation. 
this unconditional God-imitating love. This is the foundation upon which your lives and relationships are going to be built. And then in the next two chapters that follow this statement, Paul gives one practical example after another, after another, after another of what it looks like for the church to live out this idea of, okay, here's the foundation, the unconditional God-imitating love that I'm going to build this principle of my life on. You want to know one of the examples that Paul gives the church? You know what it is? Husbands and wives. Paul takes what Jesus taught about love in general and he applies it specifically to marriage. Healthy, happy couples, when it comes to their spouse's hopes and dreams and desires, They do everything they can to try and love their husband or love their wife the way that God loved them. Regardless of equity or fairness or reciprocation. And when you get two people loving each other like that, you get something beautiful. But in a relationship where one or both people in the relationship take their bag of expectations and just dump it at their spouse's feet and wait for them to meet their needs, you are guaranteed to get unmet expectations. You are guaranteed to get pain and frustration and disappointment. So, healthy, happy couples, they've got expectations. Expectations, they're an unavoidable reality in life. But healthy, happy couples, they're aware. Their conflict rises. They take a step back. They're like, hey, is this because I'm not getting what I want? They analyze. They figure, okay, I got an unmet expectation. What kind of expectation is this? Is this biblical? Is this personal opinion? Is this experience that I create this myself? They advertise. They communicate. They announce to one another, hey, these are my expectations. They draw a bullseye for the person who loves them to shoot at. And then healthy, happy couples, they apply what Jesus taught about love in general to their relationship with their spouse specifically. Let's pray together. Father, today, just as we have people here in the room, people watching online, for whom unmet expectations and the struggle that comes with that is just real. Father, I pray that you would please meet us. God, just give us hearts and minds that are open to your truth. Father, help us to lead in love. Help us to see what it looks like for us to bless our spouse the way that you have blessed us 
And Father, I pray you would pour out your healing and your hope and your health onto our lives and relationships. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.